You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today, we're going to talk about our personalities. But first, we have some podcast news to share with you. Our friend Katie designed an amazing paper cut logo for us. And we love it. We think that she perfectly captured the essence of the podcast. And if you have seen it, I'm sure you agree. If you want to check out more of her paper cut art, you can check out her website at yadykatespapercuts.com. The other really neat thing that Katie is doing every week in 2017 is she is doing a new paper cut that is a reimagining of the cover of some of her favorite books. And she's a librarian, so she has great taste. And if you want to check out those covers, you can find her on Instagram at by underscore the underscore cover. All right, let's move on to chatting about life lately. Abby, what's been happening with you? Things here have been good. It feels like they are slowing down and like I'm getting better at balancing work and life. But I think a lot of that that's happening has to do with a decision I made last week, which is to find part-time childcare. Mm -hmm. And I said on the podcast before that I was not excited about doing that. But then I had a really hard week where I felt like I was doing nothing but working in parenting, which was not great for my mental health. And I think not great for me doing either one of those things well. Right. And so I'm looking for that now. And it's this thing where when you f- you start to look for childcare is when you go on all the wait lists. And so there's basically nothing available now. But just doing something about it has helped me feel like it's more manageable. Some of the wait lists are super long, like two years. So we're never getting in there, basically. <laughs> but some of them, it's more like, she could start when she's two, mm-hmm. which feels it's still a ways far away. away. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not really that far away. Because if you think about the school year starting in August, then she could basically start in January. The one that we're going to take a tour of on Tuesday is a preschool that we can walk to in our neighborhood. And it would just be preschool 830 to 1230 for two days. Okay. Which feels really reasonable. It's not very long for her to be away from home. There would be plenty of time for us to have quality time. But I think that it would also be really nice for me to have six to eight solid hours to do what I need to do, whether that's work or appointments or whatever. You can get a lot done in that amount of time. Yeah, I'm hopeful that I can. I'm really glad you guys are finding a solution that's working for you. Thanks. What's been happening with you? It's really cliche to talk about the weather. But all I am thinking about right now is how amazing spring is. And Mm. we've been able to live outside. The kids can be in the backyard all afternoon. We're meeting with friends at parks again. This morning, we went over to a friend's house and just dug in her garden all morning. I can hang laundry outside again. It just feels amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. We had a day like that, too, where it was just perfect. You walk outside and you can't even really feel the air unless there's a slight breeze and then it feels amazing. Yes. I dried laundry outside. Having the windows open in the house just Mm -hmm. feels so nice. Yeah. Winter was fine, but I had forgotten how amazing this is and I'm just soaking it up. It's also been really fun to have springtime with kids that HP is so interested in everything that's blooming and watching the leaves grow bigger and Mm -hmm. noticing how open the tulips are every day and anticipating them opening and 
it's just been really fun to see it through his eyes and pay more attention than I would normally. Wonderful. Are you ready to chat about what we've been reading? I am ready. What have you been reading lately? I've been reading Slammed by Colleen Hoover. And this is a book, Sarah, that you recommended to me that I think you read. Did you read the whole thing on your birthday? I did. That morning, somebody at church recommended the book to me. Uh And I thought, great, I'm going to the library by myself this afternoon. I'm going to pick it up. And then I read a big chunk of it that afternoon at the library by myself. And then I came home. And after the kids were in bed, I finished it. It's definitely that kind of book. It's YA fiction, and it's really romancy. Mm-hmm. So when I first started reading it, I was sort of like, eh, I'm not that <laughs> excited about this. And I actually felt kind of guilty because I asked our library to buy the hard copy because the only copy they had was ebook. And as discussed previously on the podcast, I hate reading books on my phone. Mm -hmm. And so I went and picked it up and I started to read it. And I was excited because you had been like, oh, this was a great, you know, quick read. I really enjoyed it. It was just what I needed for a birthday read. Mm -hmm. And I started to read it and I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is terrible. You know, the writing is sort of cliche Mm -hmm. and these characters are making me roll my eyes all the time. But by a third of the way into it, I was really turning the pages and I actually stayed up late one night this week just to finish reading it because I needed to know what happened and see the resolution. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend it if you know what you're getting into. I think this is not a book that is going to make you feel intellectual or expand your mind much. No, it's just a fun story to read. And there are some things that are not very believable in this book. Yeah. But you just have to go along for the ride. And it is. It's a really fun ride. And so I read, there's a sequel to that book. Mm -hmm. And so after I read this one, I was really excited to get that. Yeah. And did not love it. Oh, no. Actually really, really did not love it and had some major issues with the way that things were done. And then I read another of hers because I I really liked Slammed. (laughs) So I wanted to try another one of her books. And then that one, I also felt similar to the sequel to Slammed, just not impressed, didn't love it. All of it felt like she really plays on the tragedy in a way that worked for me reading it once, but not the third time around. Mm -hmm. And so when you were telling me that you weren't so sure about Slammed, it made me question whether or not (laughs) it was good when I read it because I did not love the next two that I read. And I thought maybe Slammed was really terrible, but I was just enjoying getting lost in YA on my birthday. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad to hear that you actually did love it because I still think that one was good. I don't recommend the other ones of hers that I've read. I'm very tempted to read the next one because they give you a teaser for it Mm -hmm. at the end of Slam. So I went ahead and read that too because I was in it and in the characters and in the story. But our library doesn't have it. Maybe we can talk and you could just tell me what happens (laughs) because that's the main thing that I want to know. Yeah, I can do that for you for sure. I think the second book read very much like fan fiction to me. Mm. And then I found out her books are self-published. I don't know if Slammed eventually got picked up by somebody, but definitely the sequel Point of Retreat was Mm self-published and it felt like somebody wanting to continue the story, but there wasn't more of the story to tell Mm -hmm. and the writing was not great. Yeah, probably in need of an editor. Mm Mm-hmm. What have you been reading, Sarah? So my book this time is the opposite of Slammed. I read (laughs) Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. Have you read this one, Abby? 
I haven't. The list okay. is so long at the library that I, I have other things that are coming up before it. So yeah, I got on the list, I think in early in early December and I just got it mid-March. So mm-hmm. I had been waiting. Yeah, because we heard a lot about this book post-election. Yes. So it's a memoir of somebody our age hmm. and he grew up in Middleton, Ohio, but his family is from Appalachia. So his grandparents migrated from Jackson, Kentucky to Middleton, Ohio. And I didn't even realize there was this really large migration of people from Appalachia to the industrial Midwest hmm. to go to manufacturing jobs. So he talks about the history of that and why people were leaving, talks about the culture of Appalachia, and then of what his life was like growing up in Middleton, Ohio. And he faced some very challenging situations growing up related to family members with addiction problems. And his mom had several husbands and boyfriends that were rotating through their house Mm -hmm. and not even just rotating through their house, but they were moving to her various male partners' houses Mm -hmm. almost every year and the instability that comes with that. So he talked really candidly about his life growing up. And then he went into the Marines out of high school Mm -hmm. and then completed OSU, Ohio State University, in, I think, two years. He did his whole degree that he was just ready to finish and took a crazy amount of classes and finished it. And then he went to Yale Law School after that. Hmm. So he talked about his observations being in Yale Law School and how his experience was so different from that of his classmates and that growing up poor and growing up in a working class environment was very different than what most of his classmates had experienced. Mm -hmm. And at the end, he offered more commentary on his experience growing up and what people could or couldn't have done to help him in his situation what the things were that helped him in the future and what the things are that he thinks holds people back. Mm -hmm. And I am still processing a lot of that and not sure what to think at the end of it. I am not sure I agree with his conclusions, but I also don't have his experiences. Mm -hmm. And I spent the whole book just trying to keep a really open mind and to just take it in and try not to be making judgments as I went through, but to hear the story and then process it but it's really complex issues and so there's not a neat answer at the end of it Mm -hmm. I think it's been billed as this insight into Trump voters and what is the white working class person thinking and you know that's Mm -hmm. how it's been marketed a lot since the election and of course there is no no easy answer right exactly like people are just people yeah everybody has their own story everybody has their own reason why they think what they do and how they came to the beliefs that they have it was a great read would highly recommend it fascinating story it was well written it was short mm-hmm. he also has several pieces in the new york times that you can read as well okay since the election and just before the election about why is trump so popular and what are the draws to Trump? It's a book that my in-person book club chose for the next six months. Oh, good. We pick six books all at once. And I think this is one we're going to be discussing this summer. So I'm really interested to talk about it with people because I think that will help me tease out some different things from the book than what I got reading it on my own. It sounds like it's so complicated that it would be great to read in a class or read in a book club Mm -hmm. so that you can hear other perspectives on it to help inform 
your own. And I think it also feels hard to talk about because we are not given the language to talk about class in a way that feels non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I feel like we're taught to avoid discussing. But it's also so integral to all of these issues that it's really hard not to have the language for it. Yes. The book is really timely and I think important to read stories of people who have a very different experience from you do. And I think I'm in so many situations with people who think like I do Mm -hmm. and have the same beliefs and have come to the same conclusions that I have Mm -hmm. that I was so glad to read something of somebody with a very different perspective. All right, Abby, are you ready to talk personalities? Yes, I love this stuff. Me too. Let's start by talking about the Myers-Briggs personality test, which is one most people have probably heard of. It's the one where you get four letters. So there are 16 different personality types. We both took this test our freshman year of Hendrix. And my result was INFP. Mm -hmm. What were you, Abby? I was ENTJ then. Okay. So we'll go through each of the letters and explain what they mean. And then we'll talk about whether ours has changed over the years or not, because we also retook the test in preparation for this episode. So the first one, the two options are E and I, Mm -hmm. and I am an I, which is for introversion, and I'm an E, which is for extroversion. And so I have a little sheet that gives some descriptions for E and I. And so the basic one is extroversion is energized by the outer world and introversion is energized by the inner world. Mm -hmm. I identify very strongly as an introvert. And I think that's a word that gets misused a lot and gets associated with social anxiety and being shy. Mm -hmm. And to me, I really identify with the definition of being recharged by being alone as opposed to being recharged when I'm with people. Mm Because being with people I enjoy but find very draining. When you take the test, Sarah, or Mm -hmm. I mean, you took it this time and when you took it before and that hasn't changed for you, right? You were always you've always been a strong eye. I have been a strong eye, although It was less strong when I retook it this time than when I took it in college. Mm -hmm. To be fair, the one that we took this time, I think, is much less detailed and isn't the official test. So who knows how accurate the percentages are that they offer. But I guess for me, I identify as an introvert, but I feel like that term gets misinterpreted. So sometimes I want to claim that identity, but I also want to clarify it Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I don't want it to be associated with the negative things because I don't have social anxiety and I do enjoy interacting with people, but I'm still very much an introvert. Hmm. I tested strong E when we took this when we were 18. And I still test E, but I'm much less strong. Mm -hmm. And I think especially since becoming a parent, I have shifted to be more on the cusp of E and I. And I think part of that is being constantly interacting with a person since I'm a full-time caregiver. I think I used to feel like I would always choose if I needed to recharge, I would always choose to call somebody on the phone or to meet someone in person and hang out or to go be with people, you know, in a class setting or group hangout type setting. And now I choose that much less often. I still feel really energized by talking like being with people one-on-one, especially people that I'm really close to. But those larger gatherings are less energizing for me now and more toward draining, which is really interesting. 
how that shift has happened. But I I still think I identify as an E. Mm-hmm. I remember when I visited you the month before Plum was born, that you were talking to me then about how you feel like you've become more introverted mm-hmm. and that you were wanting to spend more time alone and felt like you needed more time to yourself. Yeah. Especially during pregnancy, I feel like so much is going on internally, both physically and emotional shifts that are happening that I did feel that really strongly. Honestly, probably more strongly during pregnancy even than I do now. Interesting. I have also felt shifts since becoming a parent when you talk about how you used to want to call somebody on the phone and now you're less drawn to do that. Mm -hmm. And I feel that same way that I had more friends that I regularly kept up with on the phone than I do now. And a lot of that is that I, I have very little time to myself. So in the evening, I want to talk to Neil and I want to read a book and be alone. Mm -hmm. So there's just less time where I can be talking to people on the phone. And it used to be something I really looked forward to. And now it's not that I don't enjoy it when it's happening, but I'm very aware of the time that I'm losing. Mm -hmm. So on the next letter, you're either an S or an N. And I am an N, which stands for intuition. And I'm also an N. So the one that we're not is sensing. And... The two descriptions of that are sensing is working with known facts and intuition is looking for possibilities and relationships. And that's another one that hasn't changed for me, that I've been a pretty strong N from 18 to now. And I was not a very strong N in college Hmm. and I've become more so. Interesting. According to the test we took. And some of the other words they use to describe it are theoretical, fantasy, future, possibilities, where with sensing it's facts, data, reality-based, here and now. Hmm. I do consider myself also very facts-oriented. I don't know Mm -hmm. if maybe I'm not understanding what the difference between the two is then. I mean, I see that the label of N makes sense to me because I like planning things and thinking about the future and sort of theoretical possibilities and dreaming. Mm -hmm. But I also am with you, Sarah, like I really like evidence. (laughs) I mean, we've talked about this before. I really like reviews and research. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. Maybe we both don't understand it. (laughs) But in any case. And I think with the, the intuition, I have always been big into daydreaming and making up stories in my head and thinking about relationships a lot. And so... I guess that seems like maybe that's that side. Another description for the difference between S and N is it addresses the ways of taking in information. Mm. And so that makes sense to me in that looking at the broader implications of it as opposed to just the details. Mm -hmm. Does that seem accurate to you? That seems very relevant to my way of being in the world. And the next one, you're either a T for thinking or an F for feeling. And that is ways of coming to a conclusion. And so T's base decisions on impersonal analysis and logic were F's base decisions on personal values. Hmm. And we are both F's. We are now, but I was a T when I Hmm. took it before. And Andrew and I also did the Myers-Briggs type indicator as part of our premarital counseling. And at that point, I was exactly on the cusp of T and F. Mm -hmm. And now I am much more strongly in the F camp. Interesting. You know, it seems like I've stopped thinking quite as much. And 
been in my values a little more, which is really interesting as I've gotten older. I was a really strong F in college and become somewhat less so now, Hmm. which I think is very accurate for me. I think values are obviously still a huge part of my decision making, but I think that I have gained a better ability to analyze things impartially that I didn't have Hmm. when I was in college. I don't want to say the logic mattered less to me. I think I was less able to see it Hmm. because my feelings were so intense about things and my idea of right and wrong was so much stronger then Hmm. and colored my view where I think now my values are important to me, but I see way more gray area than I did then. Interesting. And then the last one is either J for judging or P for perceiving. It says it describes the function used in external world. So J's prefer a planned, decided, orderly way of life And P's prefer a flexible, spontaneous way of life. I was on the cusp both times (laughs) between the two of those. Hmm. That I have been a P both times, but not a really strong one. Which feels accurate to me because I like to plan things. I like for things to be organized, but I'm also very able to go with the flow. I used to be a very strong J. And that's something that has shifted between the first time I took the test and this most recent time that I took it. Maybe I was a little bit more rigid before. The letters that make most sense to me are that I identify really strongly as an I and fairly strongly as an F, where the other two, my N and P, I feel like, yeah, that's accurate, but I don't identify as strongly with it. So you're INFP? I am. And I'm ENFP. That's interesting. It is. So I have some quotes from the tests that we took in college that describe my personality type that I think are, well, you can tell me if you think they're accurate or not. Okay, let's hear them. (laughs) Okay. So it says, she is a unique and creative person who tends to march to the beat of her own drummer. Private, quiet, and socially cautious, only friends who know her very well may ever see her more playful and expressive side. In fact, it takes a while for Sarah to feel comfortable with new people, so she may often be described as somewhat reserved. But inside, she is a person of great feeling and cares deeply for people and causes that are dear to her heart. Sarah's personal values are most important to her, so she always tries to make choices that she feels good about. She is rarely willing to compromise on anything that is important to her. And then later it says, she can sometimes become overwhelmed by the intensity of her emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I could see a lot of true things about you in that. It generalizes in a way that I think isn't always accurate, but nothing is perfect in that way. Yeah. And I think part of that comes from like I, that I don't identify as strongly with certain ones of those letters. And so the parts that are describing that to me don't feel as accurate. Right. So it listed some possible strengths as things. And one was good at making people feel comfortable and deeply committed to issues she believes in strongly mm-hmm. and very perceptive of others and possesses good communication skills. And I feel like those are fairly accurate. I also thought the part about that people would describe me as reserved and not as comfortable in large groups is spot on. Every time I would always choose to be in a smaller group or interacting one-on-one or with just a couple people as opposed to being at a party with lots of people. That's not my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. I pulled out some things from the test that we just took. Mm -hmm. If listeners want to do it too, it's 16personalities.com and that's the number 16 in numerals, 
and then the word personalities. And it's free. You can go on there and do it and read all about what it says that you are. But the pieces that resonated the most with me were in the workplace habits section Mm -hmm. about ENFPs. One particular sentence is, ENFPs love exploring new ideas and learning new things. And once something becomes familiar, its allure starts to fade, which is so me. I think I've talked before about how I start projects and then have trouble finishing them. So apparently ENFPs are growth oriented, excellent listeners, able to analyze and understand others' perspectives effortlessly, which I love to try and figure out what other people, like where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. But then this next sentence is key. It's perhaps this quality that makes ENFPs intolerant of micromanagement. Mm. The way they see it, they understand what's been asked of them and all they require is the freedom to accomplish their task. Yep. So I hate being micromanaged more than most things. And some of that I think is this personality stuff that I just feel like I get it and I don't want to hear about it anymore. And I'll bring you my finished product and then we can decide if I got it or not. Yeah. But I don't need you to hold my hand all the way along. So that was something that was fun and really resonated. It's interesting when you find the parts that really feel accurate. And there were other parts that I read and I was like, eh, that doesn't seem like me. But the parts of it that did, I was like, wow, that's spot on. That is exactly the way that I handle that or the way I see that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I like about this is finding those nuggets that really resonate that help you feel like you're understanding yourself better. And on mine, it listed some possible blind spots also known as weaknesses, (laughs) but they're framing it in a very nice way. And it said, may be too idealistic and not realistic enough about what is achievable, may have difficulty compromising on big issues. And those I thought were very accurate and may lack the ability to evaluate issues and positions objectively. Hmm. And I think that one was much more true in college. I think that's an area where I've grown a lot. Yeah. In the last decade. Which is probably reflected in the changes that you've had, the small shifts more toward the center. Yeah, as opposed to being really strong one direction. Right. Did you feel like you gained a lot of insight doing this with Andrew when you did it in premarital counseling? Yeah, we did. It was really helpful. I mean, just to learn that he is a pretty strong eye. Mm -hmm. Things like where I would take personally him waking up in the morning and not talking to me. Because he wasn't ready, that would really hurt my feelings. But knowing what a strong eye he was and the sort of time he needed to be internal really helped me give more space for that in our relationship. Let's move on to another personality test that has become a thing in the last couple years. So Gretchen Rubin wrote a book about habits, and it was called Better Than Before. Yes. And she developed this framework called the four tendencies. So she divides people into four categories. You're either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. So it describes how you respond to inner expectations and outer expectations. So upholders have no problem meeting both inner and outer expectations. Mm -hmm. So they're equally able to uphold a commitment to themselves as they are a commitment to a friend. Questioners have no problem meeting inner expectations if it makes sense to them, but they'll only meet outer expectations if it makes sense to them. So basically, they only respond to things that make sense to them and have no problem ignoring expectations otherwise. Mm -hmm. Obligers struggle to meet inner expectations if no one is holding them accountable. 
but have no problem meeting outer expectations. So they can do what they're supposed to for other people in their lives, but struggle to do something if they're the only person counting on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if she refers to them this way or if it's just how I do, but a more colloquial term would be like people pleasers, you know, people who are always putting other people first ahead of themselves. Mm-hmm. And then rebels don't respond to inner or outer expectations unless they want to. And that's the category I think I understand the least because it seems the hardest to quantify. And I think she says that's also the smallest percentage of the population. Mm -hmm. There are very few people that are like strong rebels where they're like, I don't care about anything. I'm not meeting anyone's expectations, let alone mine. And it's also something where if somebody expects it of them, it makes them want to do it less. Mm -hmm. There is a Four Tendencies quiz on her website that we'll link to in the show notes if you're interested in taking this one. Abby, why don't you say what you are? So when I read Better Than Before, I didn't even need to take the test. When she was describing the tendencies, it was very clear to me that I'm a questioner. And the best example that she gave was if it's late at night and you're stopped at a stoplight and there's no one around, so no other drivers and no cops, you will run the light. And that's me. And that's just one example. But I do really well meeting my own expectations. And when people ask me to do things that I don't see the point of it, I don't do them. And I actually got in trouble a lot in high school for that. I got several detentions and I had a signed seat on my school bus because I couldn't go with stupid rules. Yeah. So leading up to this episode, I hadn't very strongly identified with any of hers. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not an upholder. That is clear to me. (laughs) (laughs) I am not an upholder and I am not a rebel. But some parts of the obliger resonate with me in that I respond very well to accountability Mm -hmm. and having deadlines is my friend. (laughs) I will put something off unless there's a deadline. So to me, I thought, oh, I'm definitely an obliger because I need that external accountability. But then reading a lot of that stuff, it also doesn't feel accurate to me. Now I feel like I'm more of a questioner after I was reading through the different statements that she had. And there are some questioner things I don't identify with, but the stupid rules thing, Mm -hmm. I strongly feel that. I remember in junior high school, we had this huge math packet project we had to do, and I had put it off to the last minute, (laughs) as I usually did. And I had a friend over, and we were working on it well into the night. And I got to this point where it was for geometry, and there was some worksheet, and we were supposed to color it, and it was different (laughs) shapes. And I just remember thinking, it's the middle of the night. I'm not coloring this in. (laughs) This is pointless. It was a big packet where there were different sections. You had to type up the assignment. Mm -hmm. And then there was this extra sheet with the coloring. (laughs) And instead, I wrote an explanation of why I wasn't going to do that Mm -hmm. and how pointless it was and how it wasn't helping me learn. Love it. So that kind of thing makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And there are other times where I'm happy to make a commitment to myself. You know, if I decide I want to take a break from eating sugar, I'll just stop and stop eating sugar for a month. And to me, that's something, you know, nobody else knows about that or is paying attention to it or... Yeah, no one's holding you accountable externally for that stuff. Right. So it was that kind of thing that made me think, well, maybe I'm not an obliger because there are lots of situations where I do hold a commitment to myself. But then there's other things where I don't, where if I don't have the accountability, I just stop doing it. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't know. So I feel like I have aspects, maybe a questioner who very strongly needs external accountability. And I don't see those as mutually exclusive because I think we've talked about this before. You and I both need deadlines. And that's one reason journalism works so well for me and academics don't because there aren't hard deadlines in academia and there are in journalism. Yeah. (laughs) Even though I procrastinate, I still eventually get the stuff done. They don't feel mutually exclusive, I think, because in academia, I'm like, there's no deadline. Why would I need to do that? Mm, Whereas for journalism, I see it as, no, this has to come out. The embargo is lifting or the magazine is going to the printer or some kind of thing that makes sense and feels reasonable that I can justify within myself that this is a valid reason. Mm -hmm. And so it still feels as though I'm holding on to my questioner identity even though it is an external deadline. I guess that makes sense. I'm trying to think of examples in my own life, but... um, The podcast. Yeah. Knowing that we have to get stuff done on a certain deadline makes me do it. But writing on my blog when I'm the only one who's requiring myself to do it, there's other things that I choose to do Mm -hmm. first. The other thing that makes me feel like I have some obliger tendencies, or maybe it's just I can be a questioner and still feel this way, is that I wouldn't let other people down. Mm -hmm. I would not take on certain commitments if I didn't want to. Right. But I have no problem saying no. But once I take something on, I will get it done when I'm supposed to. Mm -hmm. I think that's all consistent with questioner tendency, at least as I see it. Okay. Because like you're saying, you wouldn't take it on if you thought it was stupid. But because you internally have decided it has value and have committed to it, then you're willing to meet the external deadline. I think it's also that Neil is a really strong questioner. He doesn't like personality tests. He would not take these. (laughs) But I can tell you that he is a very strong questioner because he's the same. If it's a dumb rule, he's just not going to follow it, Mm -hmm. where I am more like, well, that is the rule and that is what we should do, you know, that I feel (laughs) less inclined than he is. Like he has no problem just ignoring it where it's like, oh, like that makes me really nervous Uh a lot of the time. So I do feel like a questioner, but maybe not. Not so strong of a questioner. Yeah. Interesting. So besides the four tendencies in Gretchen Rubin's book, she also describes these different dualities of personality types. And she has several of these, like if you're a lark or an owl, people who get more stuff done in the morning or feel more energized in the evening. And she has many of these. Mm -hmm. But the one that I most strongly identify with is the difference between an abstainer and a moderator. Yes, And I first heard about it in her earlier book. So she also wrote The Happiness Project and Happier at Home. Mm -hmm. So in her book, Happier at Home, she talks about a quote that she identifies with from Samuel Johnson. And it says, abstinence is as easy for me as temperance would be difficult. And then she goes on and says, Johnson and I were abstainers who found it much easier to abstain than to indulge moderately. I'm not tempted by the things I decided are off limits, but once I've started something, I have trouble stopping. If I never do something, it requires no self-control for me. If I do something sometimes, it requires enormous Mm self-control. But when I read that, I felt so validated in the way that I operate in the world Mm -hmm. because I am also an abstainer. And I feel like the moderators are held up as this ideal that everything in moderation and it's good to be able to be moderate in things and um, you should have just a little and 
I feel like the abstainer way is seen as like something that's just going to eventually backfire or that it's not healthy. Kind of extreme, right? Yeah. Where for me, especially related to food, I've just found it to be so true. Another thing she talks about is how having limits gives her freedom. And that's something that I really relate to. Mm -hmm. I'm also an abstainer, though I'm not sure I identify quite as strongly with it as you do. But definitely when making changes in my life, especially as regards food and shopping, Mm -hmm. which I think are two things that I do that bring me comfort. Mm -hmm. I think that I do better with those when I make a decision to abstain rather than to try and moderate. I would say I definitely feel it most strongly with food and I guess with social media Hmm. that I deleted my Facebook account. And I think it was the same thing that it was hard for me to be moderate. Not that I was spending all day staring at my Facebook feed, but I was spending more time than I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I found it harder to say, okay, I'm just going to get on for five minutes and get off. That the little free time I have in the evening, you know, half an hour of that would be spent scrolling Facebook. Mm -hmm. And knowing myself, I knew it was going to be easier to just stop where Neil has no problem being moderate. He can just check in every few days. And I know myself and I know that wasn't going to be realistic. So I took a more extreme action, but it felt right for me. Hmm. Let's end by chatting about how our perception of ourselves and our personality has changed over time. And you've already talked about that a little bit with how your Myers-Briggs has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. Even though my Myers-Briggs hasn't changed, I think it's not that my personality has changed. It's also the way I think about it and things I perceived as weaknesses when I was younger, I now see as strengths or at least you know, it's two sides of the same coin. And I feel that most strongly with the introversion part of it, that I've learned a lot more about introversion as an adult. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that was reading Susan Cain's book, Quiet, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure I've already talked about on this podcast because I talk about that book all the time. That's a book as I was reading it that I just kept thinking, I wish I had read this when I was younger. And she's actually written a book for junior high and high school students about introversion. Mm -hmm. And it's for introverts on how to navigate the world and the school system as an introvert. And because I think that in general, our society very highly values extroversion. It does. That it made me feel like the introverted parts parts of my personality were somehow wrong Mm -hmm. as opposed to just a different way of being in the world. And especially socially, I wish I just understood more that I just need some time to myself and that I feel better when I have time to recharge. And I did know those things, but I didn't know it in such a clear way. Mm -hmm. And having that self-knowledge would have been really valuable. Now that I have that knowledge, I just feel so much more comfortable turning down invitations that I know are going to be too much for me Mm -hmm. and knowing how to balance my need for social interaction with my need to be alone. And I wish I'd had that information sooner, but I'm glad that I have it now. Yeah. Sarah, in the same way as it sounds like you've become more accepting of your personality and who you are, I don't feel that necessarily with the introversion-extroversion duality, but I do with the thinking-feeling duality. Mm -hmm. And I think that I have always felt things super strongly, but that I tested as a T because it wasn't acceptable to be making decisions 
based on what I was feeling and my values. Hmm. And I don't know if that's something that I picked up in my family or in school or that I put on myself. And probably it's some combination of that. Right. But I like that I have come into a place of really embracing that that's how I like to make decisions. And I liked what you said earlier about seeing a lot more gray area. Mm -hmm. I think that I have shifted to seeing more gray. We're both shifting toward the same place. But I was coming from this place of really valuing logic and thinking. Mm -hmm. And now I've come into this middle ground of more accepting that if I am feeling something really strongly to trust it and to not discount it in favor of logic, which I think was my tendency when I was younger. Hmm. So that's how things have shifted for me. And it feels like an acceptance more of who I really am and less a denial of that, which it sort of sounds like is how it is for you in introversion. I mean, I would have identified as an introvert when I was younger, too. Mm -hmm. I would have had that negative connotation with it. Right. Thinking I'm an introvert and that's not the best way to be. And it's something I need to work to overcome Mm -hmm. as opposed to I'm an introvert and there are a lot of strengths that come with that. And there are a lot of things introverts bring to the table that are important. Yeah. I was talking with one of our mutual friends who is a teacher and she was saying how it's always kids their greatest strengths are also their greatest challenges Mm -hmm. that the kids who are really outgoing and find it really easy to jump right in and talk to everybody that they often find it harder to listen and harder to observe. And the kids who are really quiet and hang back that they're watching and they're seeing and they're, you know, taking it all in and that neither one is better than the other, but both have something to learn and both have something to offer. Looking at it that way really resonates with me and seeing that there are times where I need to push myself out of my comfort zone and that that's good, but that the way that I am inherently isn't bad. It's just offering something else. Are we ready to wrap up personalities and move on to what we've been eating? Yes. I'll start. And I have another lentil recipe. What a surprise. (laughs) It is. So on the last couple episodes, I'd been feeling like, man, we just eat the same thing every time. I don't have anything new to be talking about. (laughs) And so I've been trying a lot of new recipes. And in the last week, I've tried three new recipes. So I am branching out. Thanks to the podcast. Yes, it is great. (laughs) So this recipe is from the blog Yummy Toddler Food. I'm not sure if you follow her or not, but she always has lots of simple, healthy recipes. And these are called carrot lentil falafel burgers. Okay. And they have lentils, onion, carrot, garlic, spices, and then flour. I used ground up oats because I didn't have flour the night that I made these. And I think I added some cooked quinoa that we had laying around too. It's a very flexible recipe. And you Basically, blend everything up in a blender or a food processor and then stir in the flour until you get it the consistency that you want Mm -hmm. and make little patties. These aren't burgers that we ate on buns the way that you would a normal burger. Mm -hmm. We made small ones like falafels and then we just had it with a yogurt dill sauce that I made. Okay. Do you fry them or bake them? I baked them. Okay. I think that was for maybe 20 minutes, maybe not even that long, but... 
you bake them for a certain amount of time, flip them over, bake them more so they get crispy around the edges. Got it. I think they'd be really good pan fried as well, but I'm always happy not to do that so I don't have to be standing by the stove flipping things over. And it makes a mess. Then you have to clean up all that oil or whatever. Yes. But they were really tasty. HP loved them. He wanted to eat them raw, which was fine. They don't have anything that he couldn't eat raw in them. Mm -hmm. And then he also wanted to eat the cooked ones when they were ready. And he kept saying, I didn't think I would like these because I hadn't had them before, but I love them. I just love them. (laughs) And he ate several. He didn't eat any, I don't think, but win some, you lose some. (laughs) Yeah. And we had them with red pepper, the yogurt sauce, and then the little falafels. But I think they would be amazing in a pita with that same stuff and Mm. maybe with cucumbers too. Mm -hmm. They would be just like you would a regular falafel if you go someplace to get those. But I love them so much that I made them the next night because (laughs) I wanted more of them. So I highly recommend it as a healthy, fairly easy lentil recipe. Nice. I was talking to Andrew about these lentil burger falafel things. And we decided that we do not love lentils in other things not as lentils like mashed up like you're saying interesting because you know you had recommended before a lentil loaf that I tried that we did not like Mm, we love that so you'd recommended that and then when you were telling me about these burgers I was like huh I think we like our lentils in lentil form Mm -hmm. and not in patty or loaf form see and I think I almost prefer my recipes when lentils are part of something I mean I like lentil soups obviously Mm -hmm. But I like my lentils a little blended up and mushy as opposed to in solid lentil form Hmm. to each their own. So my recipe is also a legume, right? I think chickpeas count as a legume. Yep. These are saucy, smoky chickpeas. And the recipe calls for spinach. But the last time that I made it, I didn't add the spinach because... The time before, the spinach sort of got wilted and slimy and grossed me out. Mm -hmm. So you can add spinach or not. And basically what it is is just chickpeas with some tomato sauce and seasonings. I made the chickpeas in the Instant Pot, which I had never done before this recipe. I had just bought them canned before, which is obviously easy and very affordable as well. But you just basically fry up an onion and garlic Then add the chickpeas and some tomato sauce and a bay leaf and some other seasonings like salt, pepper, and smoky paprika is where the smoke comes from. And then you let that sort of simmer for however long you have. You know, you can do as few as like 20 minutes, I think. And then I like to simmer it longer because I like the flavors to go together a little bit more. And then take the bay leaf out. If you're adding spinach, you can add it then so that it kind of wilts and cooks down a little bit. And then you can serve it however you want. I've done it with rice before, but this most recent time I made polenta Mm. and served it with that, which was really good. That does sound good. And I hadn't made polenta before, but I found it really easy. So we'll be doing that some more. And Plum loved it. She was obsessed with the polenta. I think because I put quite a bit of butter in there Mm -hmm. and that girl loves butter. Yes, as she should. Yeah, she's my daughter through and through. But you're not a fan of chickpeas, right, Sarah? Mm, I'm hit or miss on the chickpeas. I feel like we go through phases. I've had chickpea salads that I really love with feta and cranberries Mm. and cherry tomatoes with a little vinaigrette dressing. And I really like that. Sounds amazing. I haven't been loving cooked chickpeas lately. I like them blended, but when they're whole chickpeas, it's not my favorite. I'm wondering if 
your thing of preferring lentils sort of mashed up mm-hmm. and chickpeas sort of mashed up? Is that like a similar texture thing? I don't know. That you prefer it to be all together? I don't think it's a texture thing. I feel like the flavors get more blended that especially with chickpeas because they're so big that they just taste so much like chickpeas when I'm eating them whole and yes when they're blended like in hummus or I make a chickpea soup where you just put everything in the blender and it's like Mm. cilantro and salsa and coconut milk and I don't know a couple other things it's really simple but I like that texture where it's just pureed and smooth Hmm. and I don't mind that but I've made chana masala before and a couple other things where chickpea is the main thing and they just I don't know I don't think I I think it's the flavor though not the texture Hmm. because I like lots of beans whole it's not that but I think that the flavors feel more integrated when it's mashed up Hmm. and less overwhelmed with the chickpea-ness of it all well I love the chickpea (laughs) aspect of this obviously maybe i would like your smoky chickpeas if i just blend them together the way that i do the other soup that i make and so it would have the same flavors but be more of the kind that i'd like yeah you could do that but i mean honestly then it's just sort of like slightly smoky tomatoey hummus right yeah maybe i could add coconut milk or something to it also or more tomatoes yeah that would you know something more soupy soupy. Mm -hmm. that's all for this episode of friendlier It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. We would love to hear what your thoughts are about the various personality types and tests. You can join the conversation online at friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who has left a rating and a review on iTunes. It makes us really happy every time we get one, and we appreciate you taking the time to do so. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. I didn't want to say chick penis because it sounded like penis. <laughs> Good call. I'll say it. Should I say it again? <laughs> the chickpea nature. It tastes less like the, it has less of the chickpea nature to it. <laughs> that doesn't sound better. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do with that in (laughs) editing. I probably am saying it wrong. That is almost always the case with things that are pronounced (laughs) as I'm saying them wrong. Speaking of which, how do you say the word G-A-L-A? Gala? Gala. Okay. Or or gala. Either one, I think, is good. Is either one? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Continue. My mother-in-law says gala. I say gala. We read a fancy Nancy book that has it, and everybody else who reads it says gala, and it, so I'm, I'm questioning myself. I think it could be both. Okay. And I identify very strongly as an introvert. As an introvert? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just going to tell you this. It says, this is from her earlier book, it said, I also stopped eating brown sugar out of the jar. Gross, but something I do quite frequently, (laughs) which I just really relate to.